What we've been talking about this morning, we looked at taking the next step. What I'm trying to do this year, just personally. Now, of course, I want to lead you all to take the next step also. But for me, just basically in every area of my life, um, just whatever I can do to take the next step in everything. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, Man, I'll be 47 this year, which isn't old. It's not old, but I ought to have learned some things by now, you know? And a lot of times I haven't. So there are many areas where I just want to take that next step. And so what we're trying to do, you know that I love to preach through books of the Bible, um, but I also want us to stay focused on our theme. And so what we're going to be trying to do is blend those two themes, looking at the book of Genesis and this idea of taking our next step, moving ahead, moving forward. This morning, we did the first half of this message on taking the next step in battle. And the simple fact is that we are in a warfare, and the warfare is not only with the world and the devil. The warfare is with ourselves. And I believe that it is first with ourselves, that Satan doesn't even mess with us until we, through the the power of the Holy Spirit, begin overcoming the flesh. Amen? That's when, that's when we get Satan's attention. So here, here, here's your goal, okay? Here, this, is, this is your incentive. When you begin overcoming the flesh, Satan's going to attack you. That's not much of an incentive, is it? But the Bible says that we are overcomers. Amen? We, we are already more than conquerors through him that loved us. So that's the blessing. So what, what our goal through this study uh, this morning and this evening is to take the next step in fighting our flesh. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to read through the whole text again, and uh, then we'll, we'll continue. Verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac. And remember what we said about generations? People get real confused about that. A generation is a, seed of, is a group of descendants. That's what a generation is. So in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus says this generation will not pass away until these things take place, or however the exact quote is, people get all messed up on it. That just means that the Jewish people won't be destroyed before the return of Jesus Christ. If only all of these theologians would just look at the way the words are used in the Bible, they'd really understand a whole lot of Scripture. Let's go on. Uh, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat, begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister, of, uh, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So here's what's going on. Rebecca, she finally gets to have kids. They've prayed for 20 years for children. And the idea is don't give up on the Lord. And, so, and, and here's why they, they, they certainly shouldn't have given up on the Lord. God had promised Abraham that he'd make of him a great race, a great nation. And he made that exact same promise to Isaac. So he just needed to believe God. And they did believe God. They did wait on God. And they didn't stop praying. So one more time, Isaac goes and entreats the Lord 
for his wife Rebekah's sake. And God heard. God opened her womb and allowed her to conceive. And she conceives twins. And yet, while these babies are growing inside her, they're fighting with each other. I think that is so funny, man. These babies fighting in her, and it's tearing her up. You know, you, you, some of you ladies are thinking, yeah, you think that's funny. Yeah, it, it is pretty funny. And she goes to the Lord and she says, what is this? If I'm going to be delivered, how is this happening to me? And look at the answer, verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. We learned some things this morning. The first thing being that what you do has consequences in your family. We learn a lot about Abraham's faith, but Isaac learned little of Abraham's faith, and he repeated his mistakes. The things that Abraham said, some of it got through. The things that he did, all of those got through. And so Isaac becomes a weak man, a man that's controlled by his belly, a man that's controlled by his flesh. Um, to the point where during a famine, he goes. God tells him, don't go to Egypt. He goes down to Gerar, and he does the exact same thing that his father did. Just like his father lied and said that Sarah was his sister, uh, the Bible says that Isaac did the exact same thing. And when, Ab when Abimelech said, why did you do this to us? He said, because I was afraid you are going to kill me. So he'd rather have his wife taken and abused than die himself. How many of you think that's a weak man? Yeah. That's a weak man. And so when we see the weakness of Isaac and the weakness of Jacob compared to the faith of Abraham, we ask the question, boy, is this the best that God could do with these guys? And like we said this morning, it's all he's got to work with, just people like us, just weak sinners just like us. That's who he has to work with. And the, the idea, what we learned was that Jacob and Esau are the perfect picture in the Bible of the old nature and the new nature. So you have your old nature, the sin nature. That's your first birth. That first birth came from God, just like your second birth, if you're born again, comes from God. And the Bible gives us some information. The first thing is that these two natures are completely different. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. So we understand that there are two different types of natures within you when you're born again. When you're saved, a war begins in your body. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, that there is, or chapter 5, verse 17, that there is a warfare going on in us and that the old nature is contrary to the new nature and the Spirit of God. Um, then we also learned that one of these natures will be stronger than the other. The Bible says very clearly in verse 23, the one people shall be stronger than the other people. But it doesn't say which people. So at one point throughout the story is you have Jacob is stronger. At another point, Esau is stronger. At another point, Jacob is stronger. Another point, Esau is stronger. And it's the same way in my spiritual life. Sometimes I'm walking in the spirit and I am subduing the flesh, bringing my body into subjection. Other times I'm in the flesh and the spirit. Somebody might not even know I'm saved. I live such a lousy life. That's the way that we are. And when we think that we could do something else other than that, here's what we ask. How could a Christian do that? You know that a Christian never ought to ask that question? A mature Christian should never ask that question. If you think that you're not capable 
of whatever a lost person is, you don't understand the flesh. In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. We have got to get that down. And I'll tell you what, you'll stop being so disappointed in people when you understand they're sinners just like you. But then we also learn the hope, and that's at the end of verse 23, and the elder shall serve the younger. Your new nature will ultimately win. Isn't that a blessing? It will. And as the Holy Spirit sets you apart, as you walk with the Lord, you will become less and less in the flesh. You will dwell and abide less and less in the flesh until ultimately God delivers us from these bodies. So now, let's get to some new stuff. Let's read on. Verse 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And you know what's funny? Esau means hairy. They called him Harry. Wouldn't that be funny if you named your kid just based on what he looked like when he came out? This is my son, Lizard. (laughs) You know? That's what they did with Esau. Um... Then, verse 26, And after that came his brother out, and his hand took on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. Because his hand was on the heel, he said, This is, that they named him supplanter or deceiver. He was already trying to trip up his brother all the way from the womb. So that's where Jacob's name came from. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them, sixty years old. Verse 27, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, how many of you see something wrong in verse 28? Can you imagine? Jeff says, Well, I love Ty. And Sue says, But I really love Kent. You see, when you begin with favoritism in your family, if you look through the Bible, whenever someone showed favoritism toward one child over another, it always ends up in destruction. Always. Always. Now, I understand. I understand. Sometimes it's hard not to show favoritism. I mean, Lydia is so wonderful. Sorry, buddy. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be terrible to live like that? But I'll tell you what. I know people that are like that. How many of you know people that are like that? They have certain kids that they like and other kids that they don't like. And look, I know that it's hard sometimes, but they're your kids. Do you know what happens? Sometimes we start with the best intentions. Then we find out our children have different personalities. You know, Lydia was evil (laughs) she was she looked so pretty and she she was the most you know i see her pictures just the most beautiful baby how many of you remember that right just as mean as a snake (laughs) and (laughs) jacob said still is (laughs) and i'll tell you what i remember one time i think we told her to put her blocks no, no, she just, we just told her to say, yes, sir. She was, I th- she was less than two, and she wasn't going to do it. And we understood that we were in a battle for her soul. And I'd spank her and say, say, yes, sir, and she wouldn't do it. I'd spank her again, three or four swats, you know. 
And she wouldn't do it. That happened probably 10 or 15 times. By the time we were done, she's bawling, I'm bawling, Laura's bawling. It was terrible. It was terrible. And then Jacob comes along. And I'll tell you what Lydia was like. Everybody says preachers aren't supposed to do this to their kids. Well, here we go. (laughs) Jacob's born, and Lydia is, I think, about 19 months older than Jacob. And so we got Jacob all bundled up. We lay him on the couch, kind of in the back in the crack of the couch. And Lydia walks up and points at him and looks at me and says, Trash? Points to the trash can. (laughs) Trash? (laughs) You know, and then Jacob comes along, and Jacob has never met a stranger. You know, just everybody is a friend. And yet we came to a point one time, for him it was the blocks. And we told him to put the blocks in the bucket and put them away, and he didn't want to do it. And so you go through that same struggle. You know, he says he just says no or doesn't do it, and so you spank him and spank him and spank him until he does it. And that, that same battle, and yet they have completely different personalities. And here's what we say. Here, here's, what, here's what we hear. Well, you don't understand. I have a strong-willed child. Well, you may have a strong-willed child, but that strong-willed child had better have a stronger-willed daddy, a stronger-willed mommy. That's what has to happen. Here's what we do. We look at the children, and they really do have different personalities. I have to raise Lydia differently than we have to raise Jacob. How many of you, your kids were completely different, right? Just night and day completely different. You know, it's like Rebecca's sweet and Kayla, eh. They're different. Kids are different. You know that Jacob and Esau were different. They were different. But because their parents didn't do right, it destroyed them. I'll tell you another thing. Esau, because his dad loved him. And why did his dad love him? His dad loved him because he brought him savory meat. He brought him the venison that he liked to eat. So here's what, this was the priority in Isaac's life. What's for dinner? His belly. His belly was his priority. Well, Jacob was smart and he he was quick. He was able to reason. And so Rebecca loved him. And of course, Rebecca would love him. Remember who her brother is, Laban. You know, Laban is the guy that I picture in the cartoon with the turban and the, you know, and, and the tricking everybody. That's Laban, right? Well, that's the kind of family that Rebecca came from, and she loved Jacob. And she raised a son just like her brother. And so now you've got a man of the field, a man who the only thing that he cares about is his belly. That's Esau. And then you've got a trickster who, even though God was going to give him everything, had to get ahead of God, had to do it his own way, had to connive and trick and get it done his own way. Why did that happen? Because the parents weren't in agreement. Y'all seen it? When you have a mom that's strict and a dad that's lax? Oh, I just, they're just so cute. I can't bear to spank them. I just love them too much to spank them. Well, it's not godly love because the Bible says, Whom he loveth, he chasteneth. Right? Now, here's the deal. When you're raising your children or being involved with your grandchildren, Whatever it is, 
when you start to show favoritism and that, that child doesn't have the completeness of the mother's and father's love. Now, I know that we got some single parents. And God, God can help you with the lack of a mother or a father in that family. God can help you. Amen? Amen. I believe that. The Bible says that, that, he, that God becomes your mother or your father. We understand that. But where both parents are present and one of them doesn't give the affection that is due to that child, that has disastrous effects in the home. And that's what happened here with Isaac and with Jacob. Or, I'm sorry, with Esau and with Jacob, Isaac and Rebekah. The other thing, when Rebekah helps Jacob to trick Isaac, let, let's read this. Let's go on and read it. Verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came in from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Well, those Edomites, those people from Edom, are the descendants of Esau, and they were a thorn in Israel's side. Let's go on. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau didn't care. Esau was a man of appetites. And I'll tell you what, do you know what our flesh does? Back to our original analogy of Esau representing the old nature and Jacob representing the new nature. When Esau had everything before him, Esau had the nation of Israel to be named after him, the Messiah to come from his seed. He was going to be the high priest of the family. He was the one that was going to stand before God for the people. He was going to have everything. And remember, God had promised it to Abraham. He promised it to Isaac. And as the firstborn, we talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And he gave it all away. Do you know what for? A momentary gratification of the flesh. See, we usually think of fornication or something like that when we think of a momentary gratification of the flesh. No, it could be just something evil that you say to somebody. He sold his birthright and destined his children and grandchildren to wickedness because he was hungry. That's what happens. That's what your flesh does. And we as believers... We give up opportunities for ministry. We give up everything for momentary gratification. That's what the flesh does. That's exactly what happened. Later on, I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole thing, but later on, what happens is Isaac calls in Esau and he says, Go, I'm, uh, I know that I'm going to die soon. Go and fetch me a venison. Go and take me a venison and make me the savory meat that I like, and then I'll give you your blessing. Well, Rebecca heard that. And so she goes and gets Jacob and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'll make the meat and you go in and trick your father. Well, he'll know that it's not me because I'm a smooth man 
And Esau is a hairy man. So his mother says, okay, get some goat skins and get some of his clothes because apparently Esau had an essence. (laughs) He had his own musk. Is that gross? So he puts on Esau's clothes. He puts on the, the goat skins. He puts goat skins on his neck and he goes in and tricks his father. And his father says, how is it that you have Jacob's voice and yet Esau's skin or clothes? And he was confused. So he kept testing him. Is this true? How did you get the venison so fast? Listen to how brazen Jacob was. He said, oh, God brought it. He said, your God brought it for me. Do you know that when we are in our flesh, we'll use God as an excuse for almost anything? I prayed about it. Oh, Really? It's amazing how many things I have personally heard people blame God on that you knew God wouldn't 10 million miles from that. And that's what he does. And Rebecca helps him every step of the way. You know, I wonder, do you remember when Rebecca heard heard Isaac say, the reason that I denied that Rebecca was my wife was because I was afraid you would kill me. I think she lost her trust for her husband. And now she's going to do it her way. And got ahead of God's plan. So now you have this battle between the flesh and the, and the, the spirit that's carrying on. And it's having terrible effects in the lives of these people. I want you to see something that happened, though. Um... Look with me. Look with me at Hebrews. There was an improper response and a proper response. Hebrews chapter 12. If you've ever been in a counseling session with me and, and, and uh, you're, someone is struggling with unforgiveness or bitterness, this is the passage that we generally go to. But we're going to look at something else about it this time. Look at what the Bible says in verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So I want you to understand something. If you are mad at another brother or sister in Christ, if you are not at peace with another brother or sister in Christ. You can't see God. Is that what the Bible says right here? And I'll tell you what, there's going to come a time in your life when you need to see the Lord. Then, look at what it says. Verse 15, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, And thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now look at this. Do you notice that the Bible says that he was a fornicator and profane because he sold his birthright? It's interesting. Let's read on. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? 
Now, I've heard preachers preach that you can live a sinful life and get to the place where God won't let you repent. Well, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you believe that? So there's, you're not going to get to a place where God won't let you repent. Now, He may kill you before you have a chance to repent. You know, that can happen, right? Um, lot, lots of people... Well, anyway. So here's what happens. Esau goes to his father and he weeps. And he says, don't you have a blessing for me? Please give me a blessing. Give, it's my blessing. And he begs his father. But it's too late. There was only one blessing. And he had already sold his birthright. He lost the blessing. Why was he not able to find repentance? Because he wasn't repenting. He was crying over what he lost. And here's what we do. Man, I mentioned it this morning. We blame everyone on the planet but us. What we need to do is get on our faces and say, It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. You know what? When you're messed up, it's nobody else's fault. Here's what we do. All of us get in messes. And yet, it's so amazing how we blame it on other people over and over and over again. And we never accept responsibility. That's not repentance. Do you remember what David said? Against thee, he prayed to God, against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done, done this iniquity in your sight. It's me alone. I'm afraid to start listing areas because you might think I'm talking about you. I'm just telling you, people are the same. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The sins that you commit, everybody else is pretty much committing the same things and the same thought processes. You know what I'm talking about? And people get into a situation and people start doing them dirty and they're in trouble and they never. Yeah, I know I probably did some things wrong, but you don't know what they did to me. We're not talking about them. Do you know what repentance is? Do you know what genuine biblical repentance is? It is excruciating heart anguish over violating the righteousness of a holy God. Genuine repentance. How many of you know somebody who prayed a prayer for salvation and that's the last you hear of it? That's the last you see of it? You know why? Those people accepted something, but they never genuinely repented of their sin. Esau never repented. He sought repentance with tears. But he never said, Father, I did this. Because I, because I couldn't wait for a meal, I sold my birthright for some beans 
Is there anything that we can do about this? Is there any way that we can overcome this? What can we do? He never asked for forgiveness. He asked for his birthright. And that's what we do. God, I'm asking you to fix what's going on in my life. And God's back there saying, all right, you've never fixed the problem that brought about your situation. You've never fixed it. You've never repented of the sin that brought you into this situation. I promise you, you can beg God until you die. But until you repent of the sin and correct the behavior, you're going to live in that same circumstance over and over and over and over. As a counselor, I, I watch people. And the Bible says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it's about verse 21. The Bible says, despise not prophesying. So someone comes to my office or I confront someone who is you know, a member of our church and they, they start down a path that's going to take them to destruction. And I go to them and I say, look, if you take this step, if you don't repent from this sin, if you keep down this path, let me tell you where you're going. I might be talking to a girl and I'll tell her, look, if you keep behaving this way, you're going to live in a trailer somewhere. You're going to have three kids and men in and out of that place who say they love you and you're going to end up old and alone. And I'm prophesying. Not because I have some word of knowledge, but because I've seen it over and over and over again. Carol, am I right? You watch these girls, man. They start making choices. They don't listen to their parents. They go and do what they want. And their life is destroyed. You see these young men. And you've got young men, and sometimes it's because their dads never actually took reign of them when they needed to. But you get young men who turn into fools. A fool is one that refuses instruction. That's what the, you look at the book of Proverbs. That's what a fool is. They refuse, you can't tell them anything. And they're going to do it their own way. And they go on and they push and they push and they push. And I tell them, look, if you, if you refuse to listen to, to, to instruction, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to lose job after job after job. You're going to struggle through your whole life. I heard a man say years ago, two men will never succeed. The man who has to be told everything and the man who can be told nothing. And we see this on and on and on. And look, as, a, as now, as adults, how many of you know adults, people that ought to have walking around sense, and you see them manifest those exact same behaviors? Bad choice, bad decision, bad choice after bad choice. And then they'll come, and they'll fall on their face at an altar, and say, oh God, help me. 
They'll come and they'll say, oh, I need to be saved or pastor, I need to I need to do something because look at what's going on in my life. And all they're repenting of is the result of their sin. They're not repenting for their sin, their behaviors, their attitudes that took them into that place. They're repenting. It's very easy to repent of a bloody nose after you lift off to the guy. I'm so sorry I got hit in the face. But are you sorry for shooting off your mouth? Are you with me, folks? At some point, we have to stop being stubborn and recognize that the sin belongs to me. No one made me do anything else. It's the woman thou gavest me, Lord. Eve, what happened? Oh, it was the serpent. Serpent? Oh, it's your fault, God. What? Everybody wants to push the blame somewhere else. Do you know what we have to do to take the next step in our battle? The next step in the battle with your flesh is for you to understand that Satan didn't make you do anything. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. Amen? When you sin, it's no one else's fault. It's no one else's. Denver, you didn't make me sin. You might drive me to insanity. But you... No. Isn't it amazing how we blame other people for our sin? Uh, well, I would serve the Lord, but you don't know what she said to me. You know what that sounds like to me? A root of bitterness. And here's the deal, man. People come to church. I think this is hilarious. People come to church, and I'm preaching to them, and they sit there like this. Like they're really going to show me that they're mad and they're not listening. Boy, man, you're taking care of me. And your kids are sitting there watching you with your dirty look on your face. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. Do you know what that is? That's Esau. That's the flesh. So I want to ask you right now. Who are you blaming for your situation? Now, let me say this. It is possible that someone's done you dirty. I guarantee you. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? Alexander, the coppersmith, hath done me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. So it is possible for people to do you evil. That's not what I'm talking about. When you're in a bad situation, most of the time, it's because of decisions that you've made. When I'm in a bad decision, most of the time, it's because of decisions that I've made. Amen? At some point, we've got to stop blaming others. If there is anyone that you're mad at, and that's stopping you from serving the Lord, you are here in Hebrews chapter 12. 
And the Bible says, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You get troubled by it. That's the bad situation you end up in. And then you destroy the lives of your children and your children's children and every person that you come into contact with. We've got people right now. I could think of a person right now. And I hate it when people come to my mind when I'm preaching. I try not to do that. I'm serious. Most of the time, sometimes you're sitting out there and you're saying, man, preacher's thinking of me right now. Most of the time, if I'm thinking of somebody, I go on and say something else because I don't want it to be personal. But there's a family that I know that he got mad about something that happened here at the church. So they stopped coming. And they've prayed for years for her mom to get saved. She's just started coming to church. She's just started to hear the gospel. They get mad over something stupid. And now mom's probably going to go to hell. Boy, they're showing me, aren't they? It's crazy. It is just crazy. Do you have a root of bitterness? Some of you, it's more your personality. It's hard for me to have a root of bitterness. I just get over stuff. You know, I shoot my mouth off and I'm done. Others of you, it festers. And it stays there. How many of you that you'd say that's your temperament? It just, it just stays there. But even people like me, we can get a root of bitterness. I'm going to ask you right now. Do you have a root of bitterness? That's Esau. Do you know what the Bible says? That new nature can overcome it. The grace of God can teach you to forgive and can help you forgive. But you don't know what they did to me. Men, I know some of what's going on in some of your lives. It's horrible. I don't know if I could forgive it. I'm just being honest. There's some stuff that you, that you just can't forgive. You know what I'm talking about? Huh. But the Lord Jesus Christ can help you. The Lord Jesus Christ can help you. He can give you the grace that it will take to overcome that root of bitterness. You understand that there are problems that we can't solve that can only be solved through the wonderful, supernatural, healing grace of God. Amen. That's the new nature. That's the new nature. Many of us in this room right now, and I'm so glad to see this good crowd here tonight, Many of us in this room right now have a root of bitterness. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not even going to ask you to come to the altar. This stuff can become very, very personal and very deep. But who are you blaming for your sin problem? Who are you blaming? Whose fault is it? I'd hate for your kids and your grandkids to go to hell because of your hurt feelings. Do you have a root of bitterness? Is there anyone that you need to forgive? Dear Heavenly Father, please help us.